It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Chapter Ten, Part Two of the Guns of Shiloh. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Guns of Shiloh by Joseph A. Altscheller. Chapter Ten, Before Donelson, Part Two. Dick and Pennington, as staff officers, were mounted although the horses that had been furnished to them were not much more than ponies. Warner rode with Colonel Newcomb and Major Hertford, who led the slender Pennsylvania detachment beside the Kentucky regiment. Thus the army emerged from its camp and began the march toward Cumberland. It was now about fifteen thousand strong, but it expected reinforcements, and its fleet held the command of the rivers. As they entered the leafless forest, Dick saw ahead of them, perhaps a quarter of a mile away, a numerous band of horsemen wearing faded Confederate gray. They were the cavalry of Forrest, but they were too few to stay the Union advances. There was a scattered firing of rifles, but the heavy brigades of Grant moved steadily on and pushed them out of the way. Forrest could do no more than gallop back to the fort with his men and report that the enemy was coming at last. Those fellows rode well, said Pennington, as the last of Forrest's cavalrymen passed out of sight, and if we were not in such a strong force, I fancy they would sting us pretty hard. We'll see more of them, said Dick. This is the enemy's country, and we needn't think that we're going to march as easy as you please from one victory to another. Maybe not, said Pennington, but I'll be glad when we get Donelson. I've been hearing so much about that place that I'm growing real curious. Their march across the woods suffered no further interruption. Sometimes they saw Confederate cavalrymen at a distance in front, but they did not try to impede Grant's advance. When the sun was well down in the west, the vanguard of the army came within sight of the fortress that stood by the Cumberland. At that very moment, the troops under Floyd, just arrived, were crossing the river to join the garrison in the fortress. Dick looked upon extensive fortifications, a large fort, a redoubt upon slightly higher ground, other batteries at the water's edge, powerful batteries upon a semicircular hill which could command the river for a long distance, and around all of these extensive works, several miles in length, including a deep creek on the north. Inside the works was the little town of Dover, 
and they were defended by fifteen thousand men as many as grant had without when dick beheld this formidable position bristling with cannon rifles and bayonets his heart sank within him how could one army defeat another as numerous as itself inside powerful entrenchments and in its own country nor could they prevent southern reinforcements from reaching the other side of the river and crossing to the fort under the shelter of its numerous great guns he was yet to learn the truth or at least the partial truth of napoleon's famous saying that in war an army is nothing a man is everything the army to which he belonged was led by a man of clear vision and undaunted resolution the chief commander inside the fort had neither and his men were shaken already by the news of fort henry exaggerated in the telling but after the first sinking of the heart dick felt an extraordinary thrill sensitive and imaginative he was conscious even at that moment that he looked in the face of mighty events the things of the minute did not always appeal to him with the greatest force he had instead the foreseeing mind and the meaning of that vast panorama of fortress hills river and forest did not escape him well dick what do you think of it asked pennington we've got our work cut out for us and if i didn't know general grant i'd say that we're engaged in a mighty rash undertaking just what i'd say also and we need that fleet bad too dick i'd like to see the smoke of its funnels as the boats come steaming up the cumberland dick knew that the fleet was needed not alone for encouragement and fighting help but to supply an even greater want grant's army was short of both food and ammunition the afternoon had turned warm and many of the northwestern lads still clinging to their illusions about the climate of the lower mississippi valley had dropped their blankets now with the setting sun the raw penetrating chill was coming back and they shivered in every bone but the union army in spite of everything gradually spread out and enfolded the whole fortress save on the northern side where hickman creek flowed deep and impassable the general's own headquarters were due west of fort donelson and colonel winchester's kentucky regiment was stationed close by low campfires burned along the long line of the northern army and dick and others who sat beside him saw many lights inside the great enclosure held by the south an occasional report was heard but it was only the pickets exchanging shots at long range and without hurt dick and pennington wrapped their blankets about them and sat with their backs against a log ready for any command from colonel winchester now and then they were sent with orders because there was much moving to and fro the placing of men in position and the bringing up of cannon and thus the night moved slowly on raw cold and dark mists and fog rose from the cumberland as they had risen from the tennessee this too was a great river dick was glad when the last of his errands was done and he could come back to the fire and rest his back once more against the log the fire was only a bed of coals now but they gave out much grateful heat dick could see general grant's tent from where he sat officers of high rank were still entering or leaving it and he was quite sure that they were planning an attack on the morrow but the idea of an assault did not greatly move him now he was too tired and sleepy to have more than a vague impression of anything he saw the coals glowing before him 
and then he did not see them. He had gone sound asleep in an instant. The next morning was gray and troubled, with heavy clouds rolling across the sky. The rising sun was blurred by them, and as the men ate their breakfasts, some of the great guns from the fort began to fire at the presumptuous besieger. The heavy reports rolled sullenly over the desolate forests, but the northern cannon did not yet reply. The southern fire was doing no damage. It was merely a threat, a menace to those who should dare the assault. Colonel Winchester signaled to Dick and Pennington, and mounting their horses, they rode with him to the crest of the highest adjacent hill. Presently, General Grant came, and with him were the generals, McClernand and Smith. Colonel Newcomb also arrived, attended by Warner. The high officers examined the fort for a long time through their glasses, but Dick noticed that at times they watched the river. He knew they were looking there for the black plumes of smoke which should mark the coming of the steamers out of the Ohio. But nothing showed on the surface of the Cumberland. The river, dark gray under lowering clouds, flowed placidly on, washing the base of Fort Donelson. At intervals of a minute or two there was a flash of fire from the fort, and the menacing boom of the cannon rolled through the desolate forest. Now and then a gun from one of the northern batteries replied, but it was as yet a desultory battle, with much noise and little danger, merely a threat of what was to come. After a while Colonel Winchester wrote something on a slip of paper. "'Take this to our lieutenant-colonel,' he said. It is an order for the regiment to hold itself in complete readiness, although no action may come for some time. Then return here at once. Dick rode back swiftly, but on his way he suddenly bent over his saddle-bow. A shell from the fort screamed over his head in such a menacing fashion that it seemed to be only a few inches from him. But it passed on, leaving him unharmed, and burst three hundred yards away. Dick instantly straightened up in the saddle, looked around, breathed a sigh of relief when he saw that no one had noticed his sudden bow, and galloped on with the order. The lieutenant